Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're continuing to look at the differences between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace, or as some people say, the gospel of personal salvation. And of course, you may ask, what does that mean, the gospel of personal salvation? Well, we'll get into that as we get into the various scriptures dealing with these two very important prophetic terms that we need to get a good foundation, a good grasp of meaning of, because I would imagine a lot of people see the word gospel, and they may or may not know that that means good news. And when you see gospel and you think good news, you think Jesus Christ, and you're absolutely right. So you may ask yourself, what in the world is the, why is there a difference? It's the gospel. Well, if it's the gospel and it's Jesus Christ, it is good. But you have to go in and ask yourself, which a good Bible study student does, is who is speaking to whom about what, under what circumstances, and when. So it's basically the who, what, where, when, why, and how routine that we uh, that I know I promote. And as a matter of fact, when we finish this particular series on important prophecy terms, and there are seven of them, seven sets of terms, and we're in point number three, looking at these two Gospels, uh, that we will have a program dedicated completely to how to study the Bible. We did that at the beginning of our first series, and I want to do that at the beginning of each um, significant series that we do. Um, didn't do it at the beginning of this one because this was kind of a uh, special situation in preparation for our next series on those 30 prophetic events that uh, the Bible tells us are yet to take place between now and eternity. And I'm excited to get into that, as, but as I got in to prepare for it, I started seeing these terms come up, and I thought, if we don't have an understanding of the difference between these key terms because they they each play a role in the ministry of Christ, both past, present, and future. And if we don't know the differentiation between these, we can, one, at least, uh, we miss a lot of the meat of what the Lord wants us to know through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And at worst, it completely misleads us and sets us up to be uh, deceived. And I know... Um, <laughs> You have got to have experienced it. I'll be surprised if any of you listening have, have can say they've never experienced uh, deceptive teaching. Of course, now that I say that, I think, well, wait a minute. How do you know if you don't study the Bible whether or not you're being deceived? So I may have answered my own question right there. So again, you know, the, the primary focus of this ministry, one, is to glorify God, and two, is to build an understanding of God's Word so that we can be discerners between right and wrong, good and evil, dark, darkness and light. And when we do that, that in and of itself is the essence of glorifying God because what pleases him, he tells us in the Bible what pleases him, 
and that is to grow in our understanding of who he is. And through that growing in our maturing in our understanding of who he is, it makes us want to find out what are the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me as a child of God and to use those gifts to glorify God here on the earth as we um, bring a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to a lost world. That's our primary purpose. Our purpose on this earth is not to build a kingdom on this earth. This is Satan's kingdom until Jesus comes back and takes it away from him. As Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It is in heaven, and I will bring a kingdom to this earth for the Jews and Gentiles who I judge righteous at the second coming, at my second coming. But it doesn't involve us because we will have been raptured out. We'll be in our glorified bodies when we come back with Jesus. And that's all part of this wonderful prophetic prophetic plan that God has for us. So let's get into the gospel of the kingdom. And we have been in here for a, a, a several programs And what we have been doing is building up an understanding of what is the gospel of the kingdom, what were the Jews told in the Old Testament to look for, and when it came, what would it look like? So who are they looking for, and when he comes, what will the kingdom look like? And so we went through the prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament, and then in each case, and by the way, you can see each of these scriptures on your worksheet that the announcer says you can Download from this station's website, and it'll certainly be helpful as we, as you go back to catch up or to review where we've been. We've looked at the Old Testament scriptures, then we went to the New Testament to see, to see a fulfillment of that, even though the Old Testament was not fulfilled completely in uh, the New Testament because the Jews denied Christ. It will be fulfilled completely yet future the next time, the second time Jesus comes to the earth to set up his kingdom. So we did that, and we did that to establish that Jesus was referred to in the Old Testament as the promised prophet. He was uh, prophesied in the Old Testament as the promised Messiah. In the Old Testament, he was prophesied as the promised king. And then finally, we looked at him as the promised conqueror, The Jews were promised a conqueror who would come and set up his kingdom and judge all the unrighteous. He was prepared to do that his first time. He was ready to go if they would just accept him as who he was, the son of the living God. But as we we know from our, our prior programs and from your study of the scriptures, you know that the Jews denied him and therefore he postponed all these promises. He did not do away with them, and I want to make that point clear. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that any of these promises were done away with, canceled. They were simply postponed to a later date, a date that God has set in heaven when he will send his son back the second time, and all of those promises to Israel will be fulfilled. And I wanted to pick up on one point here, just as a side note before we move into the kingdom, because now, as we did at the end of our last program, or in our last program, we were setting up now um, understandings of what the kingdom would look like and what has to come before the kingdom, which is tribulation. But I wanted to point out one thing uh, about king, and I don't want to make a big issue of this because... um, you can look at it from a biblical perspective, but then you can look at it simply as an emotional relationship issue is Jesus is 
a king. He is coming to set up his kingdom and to be king of kings and lord of lords. But when he is described as a king, who is speaking to whom about kingship? And you'll find in a study of the scripture that when Jesus is described as a king, it is in relationship to Israel, Israel principally, and then when he comes back at his second coming and sets up his millennial kingdom, then he will be sitting on his throne in bodily form in a literal millennial temple, sitting on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem as king of kings and lord of lords over the entire earth. I say that to separate that from the church. In my study of the scripture, I cannot find any reference where Jesus is referred to as the king of the church. And the reason I don't want to belabor this is because you can say that we will be back here on the earth in the millennial kingdom in our glorified eternal bodies with Jesus as his wife. And you can say because he is king of kings and lord of lords that we might be under that umbrella. And I, you know, it it doesn't, I don't think it really serves any good purpose for clarifying of any understanding to say, well, that's not true. All I'm saying is that from a biblical perspective, Jesus is never related to the church as her king. It's always as her bridegroom. It's as the head of the church. It's as the wife, ultimately as the wife. It's all of a relational family-type issue with him as the head, as the husband, never as the king. So uh, if you say uh, Jesus is my king, I mean, I'm not going to debate that with you. I'm just simply going to say that the Bible doesn't. I don't believe the Bible supports that. Is there anything wrong with saying it? No. But just from a simple biblical accuracy, that's the point I wanted to make. And we'll move on from there because... um, like I said, I don't want anybody to get um, too upset about that, uh, simply looking at Bible Scripture. So we looked at who is coming, the prophet, the Messiah, the king, the conqueror. Now we want to look at from the gospel perspective of the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that Jesus preached and that he taught his apostles to preach during the first part of his ministry. What does it look like, and what is what all is involved in it? And the first thing we were looking at was the fact that there was going to be a tribulation. There was going to be a terrible time of a tribulation, and we went to Jeremiah. And one of the most commonly referenced verses in the Bible in the Old Testament uh, that's very quick to give you a description of this uh, seven-year tribulation, how bad it's going to be, and who's involved in it, was in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, and you see that on your worksheet. And in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, there is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. And of course, Jacob is another name for Israel. Jacob had his name changed to Israel, and he was the father of the 12 tribes. So when you see the name Jacob, it means all 12 tribes, as opposed to Judah, which refers to the southern two tribes in the split kingdom, or Israel, or Ephraim, or in the Old Testament, sometimes you saw Samaria, to refer to the 10 northern tribes that made up the northern kingdom. 
But when you see Jacob, it means all all Jews, all Israelites, I should say, because you can get very picky and say Jew comes from Judah and refers to a certain group of the Jews. But I, I want you to understand here, it means all 12 tribes are going to have a terrible time of distress, but it says he, Jacob, meaning the 12 tribes, will be saved from it meaning that they will not be annihilated. They will not be totally done away with. Um, those of you that have been with us uh, on this program for a while know full well that Satan wants nothing more than to have us, the people on the earth, annihilate Israel, do away with all Jews. Why is that? It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.16. It says... Um, um, 3.15, where uh, it says the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Well, obviously we know through a genealogical study, a bloodline study, that the seed of the woman is Jesus. And Jesus, uh, all along from the time of um, Cain and, uh, and Abel and Seth, Satan has been looking to cut off the bloodline first so the Messiah would not come, he failed at that because the Messiah did not only came, but you could imagine the dance that, uh, that Satan did when he saw Jesus on the cross, that he had won. But then Jesus gloriously was resurrected in God's eternal plan. So from then on, he's looking to get rid of the nation of Israel. And why is that? Because Jesus told, the Isra- told Israel the night before he was crucified, right after the last... Um, or at the end of the Last Supper, he said, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So until Israel recognizes Jesus as Messiah, he will not come back. Satan is counting on that. So Satan is trying to destroy Israel any way he can. And of course, those of you that are, uh, you know, I count if you're listening to this program you are some degree of a, of a prophecy student, certainly a biblical student, but a prophecy student, and you know that, G, that uh, Jesus is going to conquer all, that Satan is going to, to lose in the end and end up in the lake of fire, and that Israel is going to once again be chief among all the nations of the earth. So that's the glorious future of Israel that we're looking at here, and that's what was promised in the gospel of the kingdom when Jesus came the first time. So that was Jeremiah 30, verse 7 that we referenced. And then at the end of our teaching of our last program, we were in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I don't want to read that whole passage again, which was um, 21 to 30, but I want us to see the very end of that one as kind of step as we get look forward to going into Joel next. Deuteronomy chapter 4, and remember Deuteronomy was the last of the four books that Moses wrote. Uh, and this was written uh, in the desert right there on the Jordan side of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan. And it was a restatement with uh, expanded notes, if you will, a restatement of Leviticus, which was given to the first generation of Jews that came out of Egypt. But because they did not obey God, God punished them by having them all die in the desert. So Leviticus is restated to the second generation and expanded and called Deuteronomy. So it's basically a retelling of the law, and it's such a wonderful book. It gives Israel's entire future all the way into the millennial kingdom. 
And indeed, it talks about it in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And let's look at the very end of the passage that we had had listed in our worksheet. And that was, uh, it talks about in 26, 27, 28, about how they uh, disobey God. He kicks them out of the land. He spews them out of his mouth, as he says uh, in Deuteronomy elsewhere. And in verse 29 of Deuteronomy 4, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. That has not happened yet. Israel, as a nation, as a people, has not found, has not sought the Lord, and certainly has not found him. Within the nation of Israel, within that ethnic people group, Jews individually have found him and believed in him, and they are members of the church. So they're no longer counted as uh, being uh, affected by the Deuteronomy passage here. This is about Israel and Israel's future as a nation. A a Jew that has believed Jesus Christ is now part of of Christ's family, if you will, called the church. So continuing in verse 29, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Verse 30, When you are in distress— And as you read this in context, this is in reference to the tribulation that is yet to happen. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you, you, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. So he's telling them all the way back 1,400 years before Christ ever walked the earth. So for us, that's 3,400 years ago. He's saying that at some point in the future, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord and you will call me Father and I will call you my people. So that's a clear reference to the tribulation and what comes after the tribulation. So let's move now into Joel so that's one of the minor prophets. So if you get into your Bible from the where you were in Deuteronomy, so keep moving some healthy number of pages through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel, and then you get to Daniel. Then you get into the 12 minor prophets. You get Hosea, and the next one is Joel. And let's go to Joel chapter 2, and let's see what Joel, and again, Joel is prophesying from the 7th uh, part of the 8th century uh, B.C., so hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ and certainly now almost over two and a half thousand years before what he's uh, talking about here will take place, and that's this future tribulation of seven years. Verse 1 of Joel 2, Blow the trumpet, blow a trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. We've already talked about that in our uh, comparing prophetic terms, the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. Verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations. So that is a, you take that description right there, particularly verse 2 of Joel chapter 2, 
And it's like reading Matthew 24, 21, when it talks about a tribulation that has never been nor ever will be, as it says here, to the many generations. It's another way of saying forever. So Joel right here is giving us a description, and we want to spend uh, some time here in Joel looking at a number of verses because Joel's one of the best places uh, in the minor prophets particularly to go find a description of what this terrible tribulation is going to be like that would happen first before Jesus set up his kingdom the first time he came if Israel had accepted him. And we'll do that in our next uh, teaching portion, but we need to transition now over, as we always do, to our Q&A time and take uh, questions from the uh, listeners. And we have a listener in uh, Kingsport who's asked, um, given that Israel is the wife of God, does that have any impact on end-time prophecy? Well, given the fact that, one, and you state correctly, and we spent quite a bit of time in prior programs uh, establishing biblically from the scriptures that God is indeed the husband of Israel, Israel is the wife of God, and that there is a clear distinction between the church and Israel, and that as we went through Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 18, we established, and by the way, that references a passage in Amos from 700 years before uh, Acts was written, that the church is taken out, the church is taken out of the picture, taken off the earth, in what is called the rapture, and then God will atur- will once again turn his attention back to Israel and will rebuild Israel. And that's the point I want to make because now we're talking about um, the tribulation period and the millennial kingdom when Jesus comes back to set that kingdom up. It's going to be focused on Israel, not on the church, because the church will have been raptured We'll have uh, taken on glorified bodies. We will have been wedded to Christ. We will now be his wife. Uh, Revelation 19 tells us we come back with him to rule and to reign on the earth over the peoples that are on the earth, over the peoples who are on the earth, because the people on the earth are living there in their Adamic bodies, in their earthly bodies, even though they're in a very, very... um, good state, it's not the perfect state. The perfect state does not come until um, the new heavens and the new earth and all sin has been judged and thrown into the lake of fire. But during the millennial kingdom, and the Old Testament's very clear about this, people will live for hundreds of years, and um, there's a, a lot of good things that happen, but it's going to be for earthly people with earthly bodies that uh, have this wonderful experience in the millennial kingdom. It does not involve the church. So my point here is we want to continue here with a number of passages from the Old Testament that talk about Israel and what Israel's um, role is going to be like uh, during that millennial kingdom. And we finished up in our last program. We went through Matthew 25 verses, um, well, we actually looked at just two verses there, 31 and 32, to make the point. So let's go to Matthew 25, because I want to, as we did in our uh, teaching program today, I want to go back to Joel as well. There's so, Like I said, there's so much in Joel, that little book of Joel in the Minor Prophets that has to do with um, the tribulation period and why things happen during the tribulation. 
And in Matthew 25, which again is just part of the Olivet Discourse, and you say, well, what's the Olivet Discourse? This is Matthew 24 and 25, where Jesus describes the tribulation, the second coming uh, of Christ to the apostles. And then he talks later on in the same week that he's crucified about the church and what it's going to be like during the church age, and that's called the Upper Room Discourse. And the differences between those two, very big differences between those two discourses, if you will, um, the Olivet Discourse and the Upper Room Discourse is going to be another one of our sets of prophetic terms because it's very important that we understand the difference between those two talks that Jesus had with his apostles during the week of his crucifixion. So in Matthew 25, again, he's talking about the the tribulation period and the setting up of the kingdom. And it says in Matthew 25, verse 31, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, so that's referring to his second coming, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And some people might say, well, it says come in his glory. Isn't that the same thing as his uh, as the rapture? Doesn't he come in glory at his rapture? Well, actually, he, Jesus, comes in his glory at the rapture. But look further in verse 31, and all the angels with him. It says Jesus comes for the church. At his second coming, he comes in all his glory with his angels. The scriptures say that specific to his second coming. And then finally, at the end of that verse 31, then he will sit on his glorious throne. When Jesus comes at the rapture, he doesn't come with his angels, and he doesn't sit on the earth. In fact, he doesn't come to the earth. The scriptures very clearly say that we go up in the clouds to meet him in the clouds to go to heaven with him. So you can very clearly tell from verse 31 that this is a second coming verse, not a rapture verse. So he's coming in his glory, and what is he going to do? There's a number of things according to the scriptures that he's going to do, but specific in this passage it says, and all the nations. So this is the Gentiles. Israel is never counted in the scriptures as being among the nations. Israel is always kept separate. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So there's going to be a gathering of the Gentiles. I don't. It doesn't tell us how that's done. It's just that they are gathered. And we'll see that terminology used elsewhere in Joel as we get to that passage for this judgment. And the point is, what is he going to judge them for? It tells you, and let's go to verse um, verse 37. Then the righteous, he, he judges the righteous first. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The point is, these are all righteous acts. Nowhere in here it says, did we not accept you as our Lord and Savior? Now you can infer that perhaps here because they did do this, but we find out that what they're being judged for here is how in their righteousness did they treat the Jews during the tribulation, these brothers of mine. And the reason we can say very matter-of-factly these brothers of mine is Israel and not the church is what we'll find when we go to Joel chapter 3. And we'll have to do that in the Q&A portion of our next program, which we will get to um, uh, immediately in our next program.
Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.